Hey JD Tribe, and welcome back to another episode of the Self-Care Spotlight, brought to you by the Journal Deck and our Self-Care Collective Online Membership, which reopens to new members from February 5th through the 11th at just 15 bucks a month for monthly moon yoga classes, meditation, visualization, journaling worksheets, astrology, mood music, coaching calls, a special podcast episode, and more. February's theme is self-love. You can join over three dozen other women and say yes to your self-care and radiance for 2018. You can learn more at thejournaldeck.com forward slash self-care collective. And again, we invite new members to join us February 5th through the 11th. After that, we close down again. I'm your host and founder, Alyssa Cousins, and today we have Karen O'Hara. But before we jump all the way into today's episode, I want to let you know that our audio quality kept going in and out, and we had some doggy friends barking in the background. But this is real life, and the show must go on. So now, on to the good stuff. Karen is a traveling Ayurvedic health counselor who connects clients to their innate healing wisdom. She is a published writer, public speaker, yoga instructor, and an expert in surviving cancer. With over 20 years of experience working in teaching and coaching capacities, she travels the globe to meet with clients in groups and privately, in person and remotely. She is currently developing a number of collaborative freedom and commitment programs and writing her first book. You can learn more about Karen, her programs, and how to book her at KarenOhara.com. And with that, I welcome Karen to the podcast. Thank you, Alyssa, so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited about it. Absolutely. As I was saying uh, before, when we were talking, I've never had anyone on the show who has talked about Ayurveda. So this is new for the podcast, and I'm really excited to just dive in and really have a conversation about Ayurveda, because as you know, um, we're both in the yoga field, and I've always heard Ayurveda is like a sister to yoga within the food realm. So this is super exciting for me to have this conversation, to learn more, and to be able to share this information with the audience. So this is super cool for me. And, you know, kind of jumping right into everything, I would love if you could lay the groundwork here for us and if you could jam on, you know, what is Ayurveda? What does it mean? Just kind of let's start there. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, firstly, I appreciate your excitement around it because I'm very enthusiastic about it too. <laughs> um, and yeah, so Ayurveda is often looked at as the sister. I've always heard the sister science of yoga because uh-huh. they come from the same time period. So when you look at the first things that we have in writing that explain yoga and its benefits right around that time, there are also handwritten texts about Ayurveda and how to practice it and kind of the ins and outs of what they consider to be their system of medicine. Um, and so, you know, this is like a 4,000 year old practice that we get to use today. And the one thing that I really, well, there are many things I like about it. One thing I would say that is an overarching love that I have for it is that it isn't exclusive. So, It isn't to say that if you're all about practicing Ayurveda, you wouldn't have a medical practitioner and also take advice from them. 
but instead it's taking the advice from all of the people who have wisdom and all the sources who have wisdom and finding a framework that works for you as an individual. Ah, I like that. Yeah, it's it's not like cut and dry, like you can only do this one thing. It's I like that, taking all of the wisdom. That sounds really nice. Yeah, yeah. And for me, um, in my own experience with just living and healing and all those good things, I have definitely gone through my periods where I was questioning medicine and, you know, <laughs> how much is enough and how much is too much Mm -hmm. and when should I take it and when should I not? So it's helped me, I really think, honor those questions and give myself some time to experience, well, what is it like when I do use medication? What is it like when I only use holistic or Ayurvedic practices? And then I think the last tier of that, which is always an ongoing practice in itself over a lifetime, is what's the combination for me right now between the two to create an integrative practice for myself. Mm -hmm. And then as I'm changing and as I'm evolving and I'm going through unexpected hurdles and things like that, well, then we always need to check back in and not assume that what we've done in the past is what's going to be most helpful for us in the future. Right. Because as we've so often talked about on this show is that self-care and as a, a, an extension of that health, like true health is like that always has to shift. Like your, what that looks like one year isn't going to look the same the next year. Exactly. Absolutely. And I, I really love that you point that out. I think it's really important. You said that, you know, you're an Ayurvedic practitioner and counselor here, yet you say that there is a place for Western medicine and it's just about finding that balance for you in your life and what that looks like for you as an individual. And I think that's a really, I think that's a really powerful message that you as a counselor can sit here and say on a public platform that it's not like you're like, it's my way or the highway. It's this way or no way. Like there's no place for um, Western medicine or any other realms of thought. You're like, no, you know what? You have to find what works for you and, you know, for you personally, you're finding this balance between the two and seeing what works for your body currently. Right. Well, and I think that it's not only appealing because it feels more inclusive, but it's also just the way things have worked. So if we look in the texts of Ayurveda, the original text, so we're talking very traditional, very old, um, when you break down the word Ayurveda, it's actually two words. Um, the first four letters, A-Y-U-R, actually comes from a word, Ayus, which means life. And then Veda is another term for text or science or uh, practice. And so when we convert that and translate it, it really is the science of life, mm. which for me says, well, yeah, then it is up to us to be accountable to understand what is happening in our life and how do we respond to that, recognizing that as we're practicing Ayurveda, uh, we're very aware of not only the changes that happen unexpectedly, but things like the natural cycles of the seasons and a woman's moon cycle and circadian rhythm and all of the things that our bodies forever (laughs) have been working with, um, you know, and, and of course we need to take into consideration the modern luxuries that we have that we tend to not even think about because 
they've been around for those of us on this earth, most of all of our lives, um, you know, electricity and computers and all this technology that is shifting the way we're operating as human beings. And so it's this ongoing project of, well, if I'm working in the evening, let's say a night shift and all the lights are on in the lab I'm working in or wherever I'm, say it's a hospital. And, you know, so my, it, it stimulates my mind and allows me to keep going, right? There's this illusion to the brain that it's the daytime because it's fully light. And so what does that do to our bodies over the course of a long period of time when our bodies really are structured to be in rhythm with one another when it's evening we're sleeping and when it's truly the daytime, that's when we're productive and, and moving forward. So it is an interesting ongoing conversation that a lot of Western practitioners are now saying, oh, we do see that there can be interrupt, interruptions um, in the system when the mind is thinking one thing and the gut is thinking another thing. So there's a really deep and um, just ongoing relationship between the brain mm-hmm. and the gut and how one affects the other. So what would you say is like the, um, what are some of the core principles of Ayurveda? Um, well, I would say two right off the bat. One, and they're kind of just these general, I would say, guidelines that we go back to. The first one is that like attracts like. So say I am a person who really enjoys to be social and I've just always been an extrovert and that's just kind of, you know, it's in my DNA. And typically as we start our journey through life, an extrovert would seek other extroverted people, right? Because that's what they know. That's familiar. And so we start to see things like that with not only personality, but we see that with food choices. So if I really like to eat sweets, then I'm going to eat sweets, realizing that the more I have, the more my body will crave it. So it's this ongoing principle, whether it's food or lifestyle, like will attract like over time. Um, so that's the first one. And the second one is that opposites balance. So if I've been an extrovert all of my life and I've accumulated all of these friends from different parts of my life and I'm traveling to different places to keep up with their lives and share with them, then at some point there will be a time in my life where I probably will be going through something unexpected or something that's challenging. And in the middle of all that socializing, I feel overextended and stressed and I haven't had enough time for my own self-care. And so that's what we do to create some balance in the system is we start to integrate some things that are actually the opposite of what has been taken as far as action goes um, to get the individual to that point of imbalance. Okay, so like attracts like, and how did you phrase the second one? Opposites balance. So they're, they're, they're almost like the opposite. They're like almost saying <laughs> that almost seem <laughs> contradictory. <laughs> Which is funny because I guess I've been working with them enough. I'm like, yeah, it makes so much sense. But yeah, and if there are other, you know, if there are things that, like another explanation I could give is more food related. Um, but we know, and I use sugar because I think that most people have an understanding that sugar mm-hmm. um, really captures this addictive reaction in all of us and so if we are let's just say we aren't eating much sugar and then 
the holidays come and we go to see friends and family and they're just, you know, course after course of cookies and cakes and pies and things. And we just decide this is the year I'm just going to enjoy myself and not think about not having sugar. So I'm going to have it. Well, come January, it's going to be harder to just say no to sugar. I didn't mean to even say it like that, but just say no. Um, because the, the system is looking for it now, right? So the system is saying, hey, we had some sugar and we want more. So that sugar is still creating this attraction to more. Um, but in order to get out of that rhythm of craving sugar, what we need to do is not have sugar for an extended period of time and the body will start crave, or stop craving it. Rather. We need the opposite. Right. Mm, okay. Yeah, it is funny to me because they almost do seem like it's like they're contradictory, but I understand what you're saying. You know, right. um, you know, just like even what you said with the introverted, extroverted. If you know that you're one particular way, you'll tend to go towards, if you're introverted, you'll tend to go towards other people who are introverted. You'll tend to be in putting yourselves into situations or jobs that are allowing for your introversion. Exactly. Um, but eventually that might feel closed off or if you're not balancing it, it's going to f- not feel good. And you have to then seek some of the social circumstances to rebalance your system. Right. And that's a very, very general example. Mm-hmm. Realizing most people, you know, have considered themselves one or the other in most times. And maybe there's a um, a situational kind of explanation. Well, in this situation, I feel more introverted, but this situation, I feel more extroverted. So we can kind of play with when it feels more appropriate for us, when we can stay connected to ourselves and feel healthy um, in any given situation. And it may mean that we aren't one way 100% of the time, because most of us aren't. So why do you advocate so strongly for this practice? Well, in my own life, it's interesting. I'd heard about it a long time ago when I first started practicing yoga. And then when I became certified to teach, there was a little more information that I gained from it. But it's just like I would run across some things here and there. And everything I heard made sense to me. It wasn't like this long, arbitrary explanation of one specific practice and why you would do it. But it was like, okay, this is the situation you're in. This is what the suggestion is to do in order to feel better. And so I would try it and it would work and I would feel better. And then, you know, maybe six or nine months later, there would be something else I would run across and I would try it. And the same thing, I would feel better. So for me, it made sense because on a cellular level, I was trying it out and feeling the effects of it instead of feeling like, oh, I just want to learn about this because I've heard something about it, but I haven't really tried it out. So it was this ongoing kind of experiment that I was doing but not intentionally doing. And over the years when things continued to work, I thought, well, this is really, this can be really life-changing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So in your, you know, in your bio, you said that you were an expert in surviving cancer. And that's something I did not know about you. Is that something then through, you know, through having gone through that, that this just really resonated as a way to heal your body, heal your soul, and be your best self? I imagine that had a lot to do with this. Yes. 
Yeah, so I had, essentially the timeline is that I had started this so-called experiment of just trying things here and there before I was ever diagnosed with anything. And, um, you know, I always looked at myself as having always been active and healthy and certainly I'm a normal human being, so I'm not eating perfectly, but for the most part, I've always had a tendency to just lean toward healthier options. And anyway, so I, it was more of an interest and a curiosity. And then once I was diagnosed with colon cancer, it became very, very apparent that I wanted to put emphasis on the health of my intestines. And Ayurveda really focuses on digestion being paramount. That's what the whole premise of the practices are, Mm -hmm. is making sure that we can digest not only physical things like, you know, an apple and assimilate it into the vitamins we need and all that good stuff, but assimilating, like you said, on a soul level, what's happening in my body that maybe I had some choice in my life that had something to do with what's going on. And maybe this was something that was in my DNA and it was going to happen at some point. Mm. And for me, it was, and continues to be a journey of healing. Um, you know, the, the journey of acceptance and not necessarily having to know the answer, but knowing I am, in line with how I feel and what I think is best for me, because as we know, we're the best people to know what's best for us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I think when you're diagnosed with something that has some urgency around it and some very strong emotions like fear and anger and sadness, um, I think it, it feels more like for some people probably I would like to go to the doctor's office, see a specialist and have them tell me what to do because it's so overwhelming. It's hard to think about creating a plan for yourself. And for whatever reason, I just didn't have that response. My response was to trust my physicians and question them and see what else I can do so that if there are any side effects or any feelings of not being well, that I have a toolbox of my own so that I'm not consistently depending on somebody else to tell me what's best for me. Wow. I love that. I just love how you said that. I trust in my physician, but also question them. Yeah. And see what I can do for myself. That was like, that was, that's, I'm kind of like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put my words together. I'm not doing it very gracefully. (laughs) But what I would say is, um, you know, to me, that's, I'm all a, a big believer in signs. And for you to say, you know, that you had colon cancer and that knowing that Ayurveda is so much about digestion, I do know that part. That's kind of wild to me um, that that happened for you. Um, I'm sure you've seen that correlation. <laughs> right. But that well, seems not like I don't I don't want to say meant to be but that it's there you know what I'm saying right <laughs> yes yes because when I first learned about it I had no idea that it really did um 
that its primary focus was on the digestive system. Mm-hmm. And, and Ayurveda, just like any holistic practice, looks at the whole person, right? So even though there was this physical thing happening, I was wondering, well, how did this manifest? And mm-hmm. when did this manifest? And what were the contributing factors? So realizing you can go kind of in the vortex of asking questions and not necessarily being able to get all the answers. I feel like most of my life I've asked a lot of questions, gotten to a roadblock, gotten frustrated, and then decided, okay, now this is the point of surrender. You know, I've put it off long enough. (laughs) Now I need to trust myself and I need to trust the fact that, like I said before, you know, we, we are the best people to decide what's best for us. And the same medication and the same treatment, if we do have an integrative plan with physicians, you know, is not sure there's general information about how we might react to it, but it's not a hundred percent. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think that a lot of people look at Western medicine, like, well, that's science is truth and it's truth for everyone. And if the data says that this is what the outcome will be, then this is what the outcome will be. And then they go through a period of experiencing it and realize, oh, wait, my experience wasn't exactly like that. Maybe I should question it and realize that all science is always changing. You know, I mean, there is a level of fact when data is collected because that is the data that was available, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't, you know, it's, that's not a widespread blanket statement that we can use. And I think sometimes we get in the habit of doing that. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I would love to break down the, the doshas. Definitely. I know that's a huge part of Ayurveda and I can't say that I know a ton about it. Um, as I told you, I did go to the Ayurvedic Center in here in Pittsburgh, and I did have like a consultation and found out that I was a Pitakatha, and mm-hmm. I know that there's different ones. So can you kind of explain this essential part of like what is a dosha and then like what are these different doshas and kind of how do you determine what you are and how this how Dr. Lena, who was the woman who did who was with me, how did she determine that I was Pitakatha? So anything right. you have to say about that, I'm yeah. all ears. Yeah, definitely. I'm so glad you asked about that. And yeah, I'll back up a little bit and just give you the definition of what the doshas are because it's actually, I think, kind of funny the way that it's described. And then um, we can get into all the details. So the doshas are basically what you'll see a lot um, in Ayurveda as things are translated, it's often broken down into biological humors. And so what that's basically saying is like, who are we naturally? So what are our innate characteristics that we come out of the womb with? And when we look at these doshas, we're looking essentially at a set of characteristics under these three areas. And so like I was mentioning before about we're not just looking at the physical when we look at holistic medicine. We're thinking about the mental body, the emotional body, the soul body. So these characteristics cover all of those areas. So certainly it might be that one dosha is more of a small frame. Um, then the second one has a medium frame and the third one is a larger frame. You mean body build? Yeah, physical frame, exactly. Okay. 
So when we look at those people, as we see them walk into a room, you were saying, well, how would you know what someone's dosha is? And part of it is recognition of some of these physical attributes. And it could mean that your eyes are really big or your, your eyes are a little bit less open, I'll say, right? You know, just like smaller eyes mm-hmm. or less of a deep glare in your eyes even can mean something different. So it's the eyes, it's the hair, it's the skin, it's the size, um, and it's even really how we can hold space. So one dosha tends to be um, a really, really great space holder is typically a larger bill. This is kapha, actually. So it's K-A-P-H-A. And people typically pronounce it either kapha or kappa with a P, aspirated P. And so when we look at that dosha, we can say, oh, well, this person physically is made up of more earth and water. And so when we look at that person, we might see glowing skin or hair that looks really soft or a thicker hair. Um, you might see thick eyelashes. And so these are some of the physical attributes of kapha. Um, but as you pointed out, most of us are not just one dosha. We usually fit under the umbrella of a combination of two of them. And so if I can use you as an example, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the pitta also tends to have, um, we'll say, lustrous skin. There's more of a radiance with pitta. Pitta is the one that has the fire element, and out of the three, pitta is the only one that has the fire element. So this person, um, I mean, on kind of a not so, um, I don't know, in the realm of what we can look at, How does our body respond to heat? Well, if we're already built with a lot of fire in us, then we might sweat easier, right? So if you know that someone has kind of like a healthy glow on their skin in the summer, then they might have pizza in their system. And as we kind of look through each one of these, I'm happy to give you uh, examples of each one of them. Let me know how, how much detail do you want on these guys? Yeah, I guess just like a, an, an overview of like, okay, if I am, you know, if you have pitta in you, this is kind of like means this. If you have the kapha, that means this. Um, what's the other one? Veda or vata? Yeah. Yeah. Just like an overview of each of them. So people can maybe, if, you know, if they haven't worked with an Ayurvedic practitioner before, they can kind of maybe be like, okay, wait, I have these attributes, perhaps I'm this, or, you know, that kind of thing. Okay, yeah. So I'll start with Vata, actually, because Vata is often referred to as the king of the doshas. Um, And the reason for that is because each of these doshas have essentially something in life that they manage. So they're really good at doing something, more than one thing, but (laughs) something specific. And Vata's is communication and movement. And so in the body, we'll go back to the physical example. We can think of how the body moves, um, you know, the skeleton, the muscles, all those things. There is a sense of communication as the body's moving, right? So the brain is having to network and say, hey, pick up the glass, and then the body moves. So if we didn't have a presence of vata in our system, 
we wouldn't be alive. We wouldn't have respiration. We wouldn't have a heartbeat, those kinds of things. And that's air element. Yeah, and vata is a combination of air and ether. So we look, we work through a five elemental system, much like Chinese traditional medicine, only our elements are slightly different. It's, it's, there, there are some similarities there. So vata is the lightest, as you can imagine, between ether and air, very light, light qualities. And they tend to be, uh, because they're innately a mover, they tend to like to be in movement. <laughs> so you'll see them, um, maybe if you were passing them on the street, they might be the person that's walking quickly, as opposed to other people who might be kind of taking their time and seeing the surroundings. They're like, I'm getting from A to B. <laughs> And, um, and they also have a tendency to incorporate a lot of movement in their lives. So they might be somebody who has taken a, a job where they're sitting at a desk behind a computer, but you'll see them kicking their leg or wagging their foot or bouncing their knee. <laughs> Interesting. What does this yeah. person kind of, what do you kind of look like, uh, so to speak? Yeah. So if you're a Vata, you'll have a smaller frame. Um, you'll have. And, and granted, we are we we all have all three of these mm -hmm. just in different proportions. So, um, they tend to have smaller bones. They tend to potentially lose weight when they don't intend to. So they actually have a hard time. That's okay. <laughs> they have a hard time keeping weight on. So. Um, I think another thing that Ayurveda keeps allowing me to be exposed to is the fact that, you know, in our society, everyone, in the, for the most part, is so fixated on losing weight and being thin. And then when you really get to look at the doshas, you realize, wow, there's this whole group of people who have a hard time gaining weight and being thin is not equivalent to being healthy, right? There's a difference. So if you're genetically a vata and you're naturally smaller and lighter weight, then sure, great. You know, you're, you're never going to gain a ton of weight and be at your ideal health. But if you're in some other category where you need a little more earth on your bones to be healthy, then it wouldn't make sense to look at yourself and say, oh, I should be 20 pounds less because that's not the ideal health for you. Right? Interesting. Okay. Okay. So that's Vata. <laughs> so Vata, yes. Vata has finer hair. Vata has brittle nails. So all the things that you might think of as... Light, kind very, of. Yeah, just very light. Exactly. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So Pitta is the one that's in the middle in between the two. And we often say... Pits is in the middle because I, I often think at least about how we're working through the elements from lightest to most dense. And Pitta is right there in the middle. So Pitta is a combination of fire and water. And as I was mentioning before, because Pitta has fire and out of the three is the only one that has this um, just a larger presence of heat, they can get warmer faster. So their skin has a tendency to be radiant because it always has um, kind of, you know, been moistened by the sweat. Mm. Whereas Avata tends to be light and dry, so they might, their skin might wrinkle earlier in life. Okay. 
And so the pitta tends to be a medium build and can really be a combination of um, stable weight, right? So they might have more muscle naturally. They don't have to work hard to gain muscle like a vata would because they just have this strong, sturdy frame mm-hmm. and they tend to like to be in heat. So going back to like attracts like, they have a lot of internal fire and they love to like go to hot yoga and go to the sauna (laughs) and the tropics and all these things. They want to be around the sun that feels like home to them. That would be me. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And isn't it true? Isn't it something I thought that Dr. Lena said strong jaw, prominent nose. Yeah, pizzas can have strong features. Yes, for sure. Okay. That um, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And part of it is, like I mentioned, the eyes before. So while kaphas, and we will get there obviously, like they have um, eyes typically that have really clear whites, the sclera in the eyes, and um, larger eyes. So when you look at them, you just see these really big, beautiful eyes. And the pitta may have, um, may or may not have that presence, but what's really, what really stands out with pitta eyes is that they can have a real intentional stare, right? So like if they're focused on something, they are focused on something Uh (laughs) and you can see it. Um, and that tends to be how they lead their lives. They're very goal oriented. So from a behavioral standpoint, um, where Vata was, in control of movement and communication, Pitta is really managing transformation in life. And we can see that in the fire, right? So if we have something, um, I don't know, let's say like something raw that wouldn't, wouldn't be good for us to eat unless it was cooked, it goes through this transformation process. And it's, it's technically the same thing it started as, but add more of the fire and it becomes, um, you know, something that has less bacteria and, and something that our body can manage and use as medicine at that point. Okay. This makes sense. Okay. So that pitta, that makes sense. Then the last one then would be kapha. Yeah. And so kapha is earth and water. And when I mentioned the person who tends to hold space well, I was referring to kapha. So it's like, we all want to have a kaphic friend because they can really hold space for each other. They're they're compassionate people and because they are primarily earth and water, they are able to be solid in their decision-making. So they feel confident, um, they're compassionate and they typically have, um, that nice skin that just, it looks hydrated. It looks clear. Their eyes look clear. Um, so they have a tendency to have a really nice soft to the touch feeling on their skin and their hair as well. That's really interesting to me because I know that my, my sun sign is a fire is a Leo and I'm Pitta but then my moon sign is, um, in the earth sign of Taurus. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Ah, that's so cool. Yeah. That's- yeah. And it's- it's really neat to look at astrology and even Vedic astrology and how it overlaps Ayurveda. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. Oh boy. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. Really cool though to do that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I can see the parallels in myself. And um, I've had people say before that I hold space well for people. So that makes sense. Um, based, I never heard that before about Kafa. So that makes sense for me. I, I get I get everything you're saying. Um, so we ought, you said we often have, we have all of these in us, but we have some of them are stronger than others in, in, in tendencies. And you said that we often have like a, a balance, like a two that are most prominent. So for me, Again, my example is I am was said to be Pitta Katha. Um, so can you give like a really brief overview? Um, I know you could go in so much detail, but a briefer overview of if you really lead Pitta or you lead Katha or you lead Vata, um, you know, in terms of self-care, either practices or physical exercise Mm-hmm. kind of what is better for you if you're sitting there going oh boy I'm definitely lead vata or I definitely feel like a pitta or I feel like a pitta kapha you know can you kind of explain what would be best in terms of self-care practices or physical movement exercise that would suit you best does that make sense yeah do you want me to use yours as an example um would you rather me go through each one? Just, I just, yeah, just go through each one and like I can make a discernment based off of what you said for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it does, it, you know, there are a lot of different factors. So I'll zoom out a little bit and say that what I would guide someone to do during winter is not what I would guide someone to do necessarily during summer and spring. Oh, okay. Okay. So if I'm going to talk about right now, which, you know, in this hemisphere, we have winter. So, I would look at Vata and because Vata is already light and cold and hard, which are all qualities that we use during winter time because winter is also a very, um, winter is the season of Vata. So we look at from an elemental theory, we look at Vata and winter as being the same thing. I would say you definitely want to eat warm foods. You definitely want to slow down because Vata has a tendency to move so much that um, it can become stressful. And so you want to drop into self-care practice that allows you to really be, whether that's meditation or self-oil massage. Um, There are a lot of different things that you can do in your lifestyle, but for the most part, it's about slowing down. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So since it's cold, hard, and light in the winter, um, we would want to embody more warmth practices and slowing down, um, for exercise purposes is, is my, is my thing. um, doing things that maybe build some heat. Yeah. So th- I would say for exercise, the two big things <clears throat> would be to either sustain or build heat. And I would say the only thing about that is you wouldn't want to say, oh, well, there's this rigorous hot yoga practice. I'm going to go to that every day because that's too much movement. Too much so, movement, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, could you do it a, a few times a week? Sure. And see how that goes and then dial it down if you need to. The other thing is doing something like restorative yoga, but then going to a sauna. Right, ah. so you still move. You're still moving your lymphatic system. You're still building the tissue and strengthening the bones, but you're just not incorporating quite as much movement. 
Perfect. Okay, moving on. Next one. Hit me. Pitta. Yeah. So pitta during winter, we'll say again, um, is warm. So we don't have to focus so much on the warmth. So what we would do is we would really have to talk to the person and figure out, well, what's going on in your life right now? Because if it's winter and you're a pitta, you'll likely be pretty good, pretty stable with doing the exercise that you typically thrive in doing. However, if you are experiencing stress in your life, change in your life, a shift in your health, then all of those things will dictate whether we say, sure, keep doing what you're doing, or do we need to do more of um, a management for Pitta that looks closer to um, taking care of Vata because of the winter season? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's what Dr. Lena was telling me because um, I, I remember her explaining that my vata needed balancing or something because she said I was under so much stress. Um, yeah. And she said, well, you're pitta-katha. And then she, but she said, I need you to focus on more of the vata. So she told yeah. me to start eating things that were warmer. And this was in the middle of winter. So it's kind of funny yeah. that you brought that up because it was in the middle yeah. of February. Yeah, and so that makes complete sense. Like if she saw you during the summer – and you have to say you went and saw some practitioner and you were on vacation. So your stress level was minimal and you were relaxed and you were away from anything that could potentially be stressful. Um, you know, it might be less of focusing on Vata and like, okay, now we can really focus on Pitta and make sure you don't overheat. So that would mean in that case, um, enjoying a nice big salad that's cold and not warm. It would mean enjoying oils that have herbs like lavender, which are naturally cooling herbs, so that Pitta doesn't overheat and Pitta can sleep well at night. Mm, um, okay, so because yeah. I'm because of winter right now, and I'm the Pitta, but I'm under like even currently, I'm under a lot of stress, planning a wedding, work things. Mm-hmm. So for me, it would be better to kind of. My is it kind of fair to say almost that like um my heat isn't necessarily being um <laughs> it the fire is not sustaining right now, so I kind of have to bring in more heat. Is that a kind of a way to look at it like in the middle of winter if you're under stress in your pitta it is it is, and it really depends on you know it it really does depend on the scenario, and with your case, I think that is a good way of looking at it because ultimately we don't we want the fire to be sustained we want it to be consistent so we don't want to have these periods where okay this is a good example so say you have a good amount of pitta and there's stress in your life and so I like to think of vata as coming in kind of like a wind of change right and sometimes we anticipate it and sometimes we don't typically when we don't the wind of change can feel more like a slap in the face you know and so it's abrasive versus like holding out your arms at the beach and feeling the breeze and going, oh, this is so releasing, this is so relaxing, right? Big difference. So if you're going through something that has a lot of moving gears, it's more important for, like you said, the fire to be sustained because we don't want the wind to come and just blow the fire out. Mm. Yes. Right? I think I'm feeling that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh right 
it's, it's like little pieces and parts happen one at a time. It's not one big blow. So another reason why I believe Ayurveda is magic because it allows us to be aware of the subtleties before it turns into something really big. Interesting. Oh, goodness gracious. I'm getting coached right now. <laughs> okay, so the moving on then to... Um, Oh, and I would say for exercise purposes then, Pitta is, um, they're naturally pretty fiery. So I would that mean, do they really like then? They like things typically, I would say typically, if you're not under stress or things, I guess somewhat that build heat or things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, say, I would say yes. They, you know, they can, they can keep their stability and, or I would say steadiness well. Um, the only thing to look out for with pitta, because there's fire, pitta in excess, we say if there's, um, say, a sweeping wind of vata that comes in, it disturbs pitta, and so it can actually, in a, in a longer conversation, it would make more sense. But because the wind came in and disturbed the fire, it's almost like if you've ever seen... Um, a true fire, say it's a campfire, and there's somebody that takes something and throws it in the fire, and there's just kind of this big woof of the flame before it gets small again. Mm-hmm. And so it can inflame the fire, which in Pitta's case, under stress, can mean anger, hostility, resentment. And so I would say that a Pitta under stress is really best suited um working with compassion so like a meta meditation Mm. um doing charity work like really practicing the karmic yoga which is certainly doing things without any expectation of getting anything in return okay so fascinating so then the last one would be the kapha, which I have this mix of too. So there's that aspect. So what can you tell us about the kapha for self-care practices? Yeah. So kapha is the one who isn't exact opposite of vata, but as much as vata needs to slow down, it's good for kapha to have spontaneity and increase movement. So out of all of them, we would be sending the kapha to a rigorous yoga practice saying, Let's move, right? Um, because kapha can be so stable and so um, they can really rely on themselves. They're very dep- dependable people. They can get into situations where they're doing kind of, you know, their general routine. They, they like routines. And so they'll be in their general routine. But say this happens over the course of a year and some things in life have changed and it's kind of time to change up the routine, Kafa might not see that right away. They might say, well, you know, this is what feels good to me and this is what I've been doing and this is what's worked for me. So the medicine for Kafa at that point from a lifestyle perspective would be to gain some movement in other avenues. So going on a jog, um, like I was saying, going to like a faster practice or even dancing and allowing that to trickle into some of their professional decisions. Okay. That makes sense. I'm yeah. like looking at myself and I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
thank you for that. That was a super in-depth, uh, you know, I know there's so much to talk about. You guys can obviously tell by listening to Karen talk, this is a very complex topic that is so individualized. And even, you know, as you zoom out even more, you look at, okay, but, but based on the seasons and how much stress are you under, there's just obviously, it's a complex system, which is why working with someone who knows what they're talking about, if you're really interested in this stuff, guys... You know, I would absolutely, you know, even start with like doing something that I did and like do an introductory session with Karen or someone local to you if that's important to you and and, and kind of just just going in and and seeing what you find and kind of slowly breaking everything down and realizing that I'm sure, you know, Karen has been doing this, like she said, for what you said, 20 years. So well, not Ayurveda. <laughs> teaching for 20 years but Ayurveda's been in my life for about five or six yeah okay even still even still five or six years you, you're a yoga instructor like this is something is so much a part of your life um so if guys if you feel like overwhelmed by everything she said and trying to break it down I would just say me and Karen would probably both say don't <laughs> you know take it all like one one awesome interesting fact um tidbit at a time and go do an introductory session with someone and realize that you know even me listening to it and you know I think it sounds so complex but so fascinating so um Karen I'm sure that you have you know you've heard people before who this sounds very overwhelming to someone who's never heard any of these things it's like oh my gosh wait what season is it in? What's my stress level? What's my, am I pitta kapha? Am I just pitta? Like I could see someone getting overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Well, and during a consultation, there wouldn't be as much, quite honestly, open conversation about everything that doesn't have to do with the individual. Exactly. Right. So it would be more focused on what's specific to you, so that there aren't all these other outlying statements out there that yes. can get a little confusing exactly and we're doing this in the in the point of we don't know what who listening to this is a pitta who's a kapha who's a Vetta. so we're right. trying to show you guys all of the things you know in one podcast episode but yes i think karen had made an excellent point that this would be tailored to you and this you know your counselor your health counselor would really make it about you and your experience with ayurveda and how it could best um, help you in your life. So thank you for that breakdown. I really appreciate that. I know that is not an easy thing. So I appreciate you you explaining that um, as, as well as you did. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. This was fun. I have one last question for you that I ask absolutely everyone. And since this is a self-care spotlight, certainly everything we've been talking about has to do with self-care. But what I want to know is at the end of the day, what does self-care mean to you? Mm, such a good question. And hard for me to be concise. <laughs> um, slowing down, listening, remaining open, flowing downstream, um, getting in rhythm with the natural cycles of life. Um, so many things. And I would say ultimately... Um, I love the definition of health according to Ayurveda. So I'll kind of sign off with that. But um, as it's broken down, 
they describe health as being situated in self. And so I really believe that when we find activities and circles and work and love and relationship that help us feel situated in self, that is the self-care practice. What a beautiful health definition. (laughs) I think so too. That's beautiful. And I love what you said. You said swimming downstream. Mm, That's nice. Like ease. Yes. Find ease. Yeah, beautiful. So let's finish with our rapid fire questions for fun. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Okay. First thing that comes to your mind. If you had to describe self-care in one word or feeling, it would be? Love. Of course. Always love. (laughs) In terms of self-care, I could be better at? Consistency. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite form of self-care movement or exercise is? Meditation. Oh, no one ever says that. I love that. Everyone, like, everyone always says that's what, like, they struggle with meditation. So I love that you love that. <laughs> well, and it's not, sometimes I have, I do a lot of breathing meditation. So sometimes there's movement and sometimes there's not. So. Yeah, sure. If I never had to do this again, it would be? Oh, gosh. Well, I don't love having surgeries. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'm not readily raising my hand to have another one. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, that's I could see that. <laughs> what was the last book that you read? Oh, You Are the Placebo. Mm, okay, I, I'll put that in the show notes. I don't know that one. Okay. You Are yeah. the Placebo. And I always ask everyone, milk chocolate, dark chocolate, or not a chocolate person? 100% dark. 100%? Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. Um, What is, I'm going to ask you this because Ayurveda. So what is, uh, number one, what's your dosha? dosha, And then number two, um, what is like a quick, easy, and healthy meal that you love? Mm, So I'm a combination of vata and pitta. Okay. And... So I really do find so much Ayurvedic food, comfort food, and kitchery is a mung beans and rice dish that anytime I'm not feeling well or I've been traveling and I just want to like ground down and have something simple, I make it. So um, I could, if you're interested, send you a recipe if there's a way for us to. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Everybody. Um, But it's got just, it's very basic and it has just really delicious spices and things so it's all great for your digestion yes okay kitchery yes you can send that send that to me after the show and i'll put it in the show notes cool i'm sure people will want to know all right so that is the end of the rapid fire this is the opportunity where i want you to be able to tell folks where they can find you how they can connect with you on social media or maybe book an appointment with you yeah, thank you for that. Um, so my website is just my name, KarenO'Hara.com, and it's spelled C-A-R-Y-N-O-H-A-R-A.com. And uh, my email is just Karen at KarenO'Hara.com, and that's C-A-R-Y-N. Um, otherwise, you can book through my website. So I have a services page on my website, and you can scroll down, and I offer packages of consultations 
I'm also based in Charleston, South Carolina, where I do a lot of programming locally and have women's groups that are um, remote over the phone. So I am starting a women's group this February, mid-month. Um, what else? Yeah, and I travel around. So I, I offer programming all over the country. And so if there's a yoga studio or, or some organization that's interested in learning about how clients can be more aware of taking a responsibility and just accountability for their own diet and lifestyle, I'm happy to travel. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Karen. This was a very interesting conversation. I know people are going to be like totally thinking about what they are and taking all these practices (laughs) and trying to dissect it and like to live their best lives. So thank you so much for doing this. Yes. Thank you again. It's been so fun. All right, guys, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Self-Care Spotlight brought to you by The Journal Deck and our Self-Care Collective online membership. There you can join at thejournaldeck.com forward slash self-care collective. And if this podcast moved you in some way, I kindly ask you to rate and review it on iTunes so we can continue our mission to spread truth and living your best life. Your love and attention means the world to me. Until next time, I am Alyssa Cousins signing off for the Journal Deck. Music by Lee Rosevere.